0: Welcome to the Juice on the Cues podcast. Matt D'Agostino, Wes Chang, Saturday, December 16th. We're talking Orange hoops right now and uh, a weekend tilt against the Oregon Ducks. Not a familiar foe for the Syracuse Orange. But here we are, Wes. We're 10 games into the season, 7-3 and record. All three losses have been to name brand programs, so no upsets along the way to this point in the non-conference schedule. But 10 games into the Adrian Autry era, what do we think of the Syracuse hoops team at this point?
1: Well, I gotta tell you, Matt, you and I have been watching Syracuse basketball for most of our lives. And this goes back, you know, 20, even 30 years. So it's really weird seeing Syracuse in this Adrian Autry era play primarily man-to-man defense. I mean, you you and I just spent all the time defending Jim Beheim and defending the the type of zone defense that he played and having him recruit those guys into the system. So having them Play primarily man-to-man, and then only maybe one out of every, I don't know, 10, 20 plays kind of switch into that zone as a of change-up zone defense. That is very strange to me. I pull up these stats, though, on Ken Palm. Uh, last year, when Jim Payham's last year at Syracuse, Syracuse was ranked 205th in adjusted defense. The season before that, which was the first year he had, had a losing record in his entire career, Syracuse was ranked 185th. Now this season, they're ranked 87th. So I'm not saying that they are much better in the zone in terms of the overall NCA, but you can see there are actually improvements there uh, 10 games through the season. So for me, it's definitely seeing this defense and seeing the man-to-man as the primary defense still a little off-putting to me. What about yeah, you, Matt?
0: Yeah, I was, I was kind of waiting to see like how long it would take me for my eyes and my mind to kind of adjust to it. Uh, and honestly, like, You see it, and you're like, okay, they're playing man-to-man defense. It was almost like the traditionalist in me never wanted to see the zone defense go, and now it's in there, and it's like, all right, they're playing man. Cool, we can kind of like go on with our lives now. But I I do think they've been active in the defense. I I think they're creating turnovers, which is good to see. Uh, It'll be interesting to see whether in the coming years, whether they recruit the guys that you were talking about, you know, would fit that zone defense. Well, the Damone Browns, the Hakeem Warwick's the long lanky guys that can, can, you know, cover a lot of ground in the zone defense. It'll be interesting to see whether they want to use the same kinds of guys now that they're going man to man. Most of the time, um, but for me, I think the most startling thing has been an absence of multiple consistent outside threats. I think Chris Bell at 38% for the year so far has been great in that role. And I think we've seen kind of a, a progression to him um, that's been that's been good to see. And Judah Mintz, for all the talk about him not having an outside shot in the attempts that he's taken – has been fine percentage-wise. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether he continues to kind of trend in that direction. Uh, And we thought Justin Taylor would be kind of one of those guys to step up, and he is at times, but I think it's been very noticeable that uh, this team is much more a drive and get-to-the-bucket team than they are spot-up on the outside and knock them down.
1: Yeah, and to your point, Matt, uh, outside shooting is definitely one of the things that Syracuse needs to work on. And I'm going to present Exhibit A of J.J. Starling. And, you know, I pulled some stats last night. He started through the first seven games of the season. He was one for 19 from downtown, one for 19. Let that sink in for a moment. Now, we both watched the Georgetown game. He went three for three. He raised that percentage up to a bomby 22.2% from three-point land. But you know, you know that basketball players are rhythm guys. And once you see a couple buckets go through, once you get in that rhythm, that can really start to cascade and he can start to shoot well. So, what I'm hoping here is that this is a sign for JJ Starling to come in. He doesn't need to shoot 40% from downtown, but he needs to at least be a threat and shoot at least in that 30% range. Now, speaking of that, you mes- mentioned Justin Taylor. He's only shooting 31.4% from downtown so he was brought in as a shooter he was expected to be you know a a little bit more like Chris Bell he hasn't been so far but I would like to see a little bit more consistency out of him another guy that I thought would actually shoot better this season was Benny Williams he's been MIA he was suspended in the beginning of the season for violating team rules he's basically in Adrian Autry's doghouse right now so I I don't know exactly what's going on with him whether he's going to get back in the rotation and when he if and when he does how well he's going to shoot, but I was kind of expecting improved outside shooting from him. So that's definitely one area that I think Syracuse needs to improve on. But Matt, I I wanted to raise this one topic, which is man crush on Malik Brown. Is it big? Is it bigger? Or is it biggest? Because I think he gets my Josh Pace award. You know, Josh Pace was one of my favorite guys. Wow. That is, uh, That is lofty,
0: lofty status in the West Chang brain. I know that for sure, but um, you know, Malik Brown's been good. I I think he's a consistent threat on the boards, which I think again is something that Syracuse could probably use a couple more guys in that regard. Um, And and, you know, I I just like the way he gets after, I think he gets it. I think he understands the game and he is one of those guys who tends to be in the right place at the right time. But I, I I'm waiting for the inevitable haircut from Malik Brown so much Hair going on there that like I don't know whether it happens when when you're in college or or maybe when you become a professional you you get into your 20s your 30s and you're like you know what like I'm I'm maturing I I, I need to I, I need to you know get rid of all the hair I think it's time I'm gonna start taking myself more seriously now and I want everybody to know that I'm buttoned up um
1: so I Matt you know around. you we, you and I have been doing this podcast for two episodes now and you were two for two in mentioning hair. So I just <laughs> wanted to point that out there, you know, I, want to put I don't put that, know that out there security that you're too dirty on my part.
0: Um, but yes, yeah, so that is uh duly noted. I'll see. I'll see how I can weave it into the third show for sure. But uh, I'm waiting to see when that when that haircut happens. Uh, I may just play around with Photoshop in the meantime to see what it may look like because I'm waiting for it. that is a that is a lot of hair, Wesley. That's a, that's that's all I've got to say.
1: And, and one topic I also wanted to move on to, Matt, is uh, you have a monthly column at the Juice Online on the Rivals Network where you talk about Syracuse guys in the NBA. Uh, you know, we we touched on Judah Mintz. I think he's going to be an NBA guy eventually. But you wrote this column. What was startling to me was the lack of words on the page because Syracuse only has three NBA players right now. That is, as far as I can recall, one of the least amount of NBA players that they've had at the same place at the same time. So break that all down for us, Matt.
0: Yeah, don't go reworking my contract based on word count now, okay? I I know I'm (laughs) writing less because there's less guys to write about, but I want to make sure, I demand, in fact, that I make the same uh, bolstering uh, salary that I have been in in years past. But yeah, there's there's really only three guys to talk about. It's Jeremy Grant and the others. Uh, Grant has been... Awesome. I I think probably exceeded anybody's expectations of what his pro career would look like coming from a second round draft pick to now making 30 million a year and averaging 20 points plus per year for the last couple of years now. So he's settled into Portland um, and they're a team that's definitely in a rebuild. So uh, since Damian Lillard left town, um, they're going with a youth movement. And I expect that come the trade deadline, there will be a lot of contending teams calling Portland to Try and trade for Jeremy Grant. So I I think he's a guy who fits into any roster uh, seamlessly. He's not a a selfish guy. He'll do the dirty work. He'll do all the little things that you don't normally get from guys um, that are, you know, uh, making that kind of money. And you know, he still has a very workmanlike approach to the game. Other than that, though. It's Cole Swider, who's part of heat culture now, but not really seeing the floor all that often. Um, And O'Shea Brissett is with Boston for the first time in his career. And after carving a rotation spot out with Indiana, I thought Boston was actually a really good place for him. They do not have a deep bench. Their starting five is ridiculous. But um, I thought, you know, after the seventh or eighth guy, Brissett would get a chance to join the rotation. And it just hasn't presented itself at this point. So, uh, he's in a good spot. Maybe we see uh, the third Syracuse player to win an NBA title, dare I say, if O'Shea Brissett and the Celtics can can get the job done. They'll definitely be in the hunt come May and June. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's Jeremy Grant and the pips at this point in the
1: NBA. It looks like someone's trying to challenge Dion Waiters as the third person to win an NBA championship. We'll take a quick break. Aaron Heisen from Duck Sports Authority when we return. And this is the Juice on the Cues podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Welcome back to the Juice on the Cuse podcast. Matt D'Agostino, West Chang here, and we are bringing in, for a little Oregon Ducks perspective, Aaron Heisen of the Oregon Rivals site, Ducks Sports Authority. Aaron, thanks for taking some time with us. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm sure there are a lot of Syracuse fans who, other than knowing that it's the school that got Quincy Garrier after Syracuse <laughs> and the school that was supposed to get Dior Johnson after he decommitted from Syracuse, there's, there's probably not a lot of Orange fans who are that familiar with the Oregon Ducks program. So as these two teams are about to meet on Sunday, uh, tell the Syracuse faithful, what can they expect to see from the Oregon
2: Ducks this weekend? Well, it's funny you mentioned those two players because Dior was, you know, flamed out at Pittsburgh and Gary A. flamed out at Oregon. So um, it it seems like we do have some things in common. Uh, But yeah, what what can you guys expect from Oregon? You guys can expect an incomplete team right now. Um, Two of their most significant contributors, Bali Dante and Nate Biddle, are injured, will be for the foreseeable future. Uh, But I think what that has kind of opened the door for is a team full of guards who are just scrappy. Um, shoot well, drive the lane hard, and and kick it out and just kind of play off one another. It doesn't seem like anybody's an alpha and really ball hogs. It doesn't seem like anybody's scared to get their own. So I do think there uh, is kind of a level of intensity with this team. It's more of a team that matches and mirrors Altman's teams of the past that had you know defensive guards like Dylan Brooks or scorers like Tyler Dorsey. Um, And and so I think that he's having a lot of fun with that, just trying to figure out – um, who gels with who uh, on the perimeter? Um, and I think that in this part of the season, before they get into Pacto play, it's really just a team that's trying to stay afloat, figure out their rotations until those big return, because Altman was expecting to play through Dante a lot this season.
1: Aaron, uh, you were talking about Jackson, uh, Shellstad, highly touted in-state recruit for the Ducks. What's been the best part of his game to this point so far?
2: Yeah, so Jackson's actually a guy that I got to watch a lot during high school because I, I went to I just graduated from the University of Oregon last year and I, I did a lot of freelance work covering high school sports. And he was always a guy that I thought was very comfortable speaking to the media. And that's shown, you know, thus far, I think he's only spoken a few times to the media, but rarely ever at Oregon do they allow freshmen to speak to the media. It's just kind of a policy they've had, but that hasn't been the thing with Jackson Shell um, and I think that you you kind of saw that after his game winning shot um, last week against Michigan, um, just how he was out there talking about d- the team and why it was a team win, even though he was in the spotlight. So I think that that um, leadership, speaking to the media, that openness. But I think on the court, the thing that impressed me the most is just the fearlessness, uh, even when it wasn't falling in the first and second half. Like that that uh, debut was kind of. Um, it was it was overshadowed by that game winning shot. It wasn't the greatest game for him. He was missing a lot of a lot of shots. You know, you saw a lot of freshman nerves from him. But uh, it's the fearlessness just to be able to take a shot when the game is on the line and hit it. Um, and I think that's the best thing from Jackson so far.
0: You mentioned Dana Altman, Aaron, and we're uh, speaking with Aaron Heisen from Duck Sports Authority. Altman, uh, you know, kind of flies under the radar a little bit, at least uh, maybe on the national stage, maybe not out there, but. Um, He's led Oregon to the NCAA tournament seven of the last 10 tournaments, uh, three sweet 16s, an elite eight, a final four. And in all 13 of his seasons, he's had at least 20 wins. So, what could you tell us about Altman? What has he been able to do to have the success that he's had in a place that, you know,
2: isn't necessarily a basketball hotbed out there in Oregon? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny you say that now that they have two um, really good recruits from Oregon that are right. going to be leading them this year, Mookie Cook out as well with an injury. But, um, I, I do think the, the the reason why he's been able to sustain success is because of his ability to attract graduate transfers or or JUCO transfers, um, and also uh, keep players that are there for four years. Like Dylan Brooks was a four year guy. Um, Eugenio Marui was was a old, older player, and it's interesting. Like now that they're kind of the last two seasons, they've missed the NCAA tournament um, just because they've lacked you know star power and, and a lot, had dealt with a lot of injuries. But even during those press conferences, he's mentioning those guys that used to be there, um, those veteran players that were always in the gym early. And he, he kind of misses guys like that. Um, and I think that Oregon's kind of withered with the, um, with the NCAA turning into a very big one and done kind of um, atmosphere. And I think Syracuse has as well. Um, there's less of those guys that are going to stay four years. There's more guys going to the G League um, overseas and Altman's kind of lost his touch with that but i think you're seeing i mean hopefully see that more with this squad uh, i think shell talented enough to go to the nba whenever he wants to but you know because it is his hometown school maybe he plays a few more years but i do think that it's it's because of having the, that veteran experience and being able to have his imprint on guys that stay there a little while
0: this is completely unrelated to Sunday's game, but you've mentioned Dylan Brooks a couple of times. Obviously in the last year or so, we've seen the antics that Dylan Brooks has had in Memphis now in Houston with LeBron and all this stuff. Was this him back at Oregon as well? And it maybe it just didn't see the light of day or is this something brand new? I mean, it, it's just, it's so interesting, absurd, ridiculous. I don't know the right word for it, but give me a little Intel here. Was Dylan Brooks always like this?
2: I think it's interesting, like with guys like Dylan Brooks, Draymond Green, they have like the the fire inside of them to play aggressively. And that can be, you know, put in, an, in a positive way, in an additive way, like on the court playing tough defense, fighting through screens, you know, leading your team. And that's what you want to see from a guy who, who plays with a lot of intensity and, and fiery energy. But then when they get to the NBA or, or Draymond now in the later part of his career, um, it, it, I don't know if this is a, a generality, but just with those two guys, it turns into more negative things. Um, hitting, hitting opponents, uh, lashing out at the refs, taking errant shots. Uh, Dylan Brooks is someone that I've heard um, negative things about in his personal life as well. Not something that I want to get into right now. But uh, he is someone that, as a, a duck um, journalist and, and supporter. I, I is someone that we don't really um, associate with much anymore. Is he? I don't respect kind of his antics, especially kind of what he did to Jordan. I guess Jordan Poole I think, was the last one that he kind of went at. I don't really know, but yeah, Dylan Brooks is not someone that represents Oregon well and, anymore. But when he was there, I think that fiery energy was put in a in a positive way.
1: Thanks, Aaron. We
2: really appreciate having you on. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, Well, hopefully we get a good game next week, next weekend. But yeah, you you guys have a good one. You
1: too. And we're back on the Juice on the Cues podcast. We're going to wrap things up here. Matt, I want to wrap things up on... Syracuse guys who are still playing college basketball. We mentioned the NBA component, but there are nine guys that formerly played at Syracuse. We talked about Quincy Gurrier earlier, but there are still other guys that are kicking around. Some of them you think they still have college eligibility, but with that COVID year, there are actually some six-year seniors. So some of the names I want to mention, Bryson Gadine. When's the last time you heard that name? He plays at Fairfield now. Robert Braswell still with the Charlotte 49ers, but he's only playing about 10 minutes a game. Woody Newton, he started, you know, he went to Oklahoma State. Now he's actually in the Patriot League. Uh, he's playing, uh, you know, he's playing for George Mason now. Uh, Kadari Richmond still with Seton Hall. So, uh, and of course, you know, the, I think the the two departures that hurt the most, Joe Gerard still on an undefeated Clemson team. Of course, Jesse Edwards doing really well with West Virginia. I think Jesse Edwards really is the biggest loss because you know, Syracuse just doesn't have that offensive and defensive center, uh, that, that they've really wanted in the past year. So those are some of the guys that have are actually still kicking around in the NCAA figure to be fun to close that the show on that. How about you, Matt?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you mentioned Jesse Edwards. He would look awfully good in the middle of that Syracuse lineup, uh, this year and, uh, Kaderi I, Kaderi was a guy that I really liked in his time at Syracuse. So, uh, it's funny, like, kind of out of sight, out of mind with, with a lot of these guys. I haven't heard those names since they left, left the SU Hill, but uh, those guys and, and Joe Gerard obviously was, was a good uh, solid piece for Syracuse during his time there. And again, we, we talked about needing a shooter from the outside. He would be a good compliment to go with Chris Bell, but um That's that's the nature of the beast these days. Is who's going where and who's still got eligibility? I know I've got four full years of college sports eligibility left, Wes. Maybe I enter the transfer portal next summer. You never know. Just make sure you don't injure that hamstring again, Matt. Uh, I'm I'm sure it'll go in about four minutes of running up and down the court. So I'll I'll probably stick away. I think I think any point guard's job is pretty safe at the SU Hill.
1: That's it for us. For Matt D'Agostino, this is Wes Chang. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast presented by Believe in Rivals, and we'll see you next time.
0: You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel.